Hello out there, this is your main dude, Jamil, and welcome once again to the Sonic Cloth. If you're new to the podcast, uh, this is a, a show for people who can't help but think compulsively about music. And you know, I want this to be a safe space for exactly that kind of mania. So, you know, welcome if you're one of these affected members of the tribe. But, um, you know, this is also a place where I want to I wanna hold some space to feel deep shame for giving way too many shits about this whole music and music genealogy thing. So, you know, feel that shame, uh, sit with it, think about uh, all the other productive things that we could be doing instead, and yeah, continue to do nothing about it. So I don't have much to say on the the podcast uh, front other than I have a really nice collab episode coming up with a fellow music enthusiast and somebody who recently published a book on a topic of music. That's as much as I'm giving away. So keep an eye out for that episode. The other thing is that I am going to be returning to some shorter playlist Uh, rabbit hole episodes get in and get out kind of thing so i am hoping that that will uh, up the productivity levels because (laughs) i've been on the tear of two three and four hour episodes um and and they're starting to pile up and and while i can unbiasedly say that they are well worth your time and patience uh you know i also know the feeling of downloading a podcast episode and then seeing like a three plus hour runtime and just just letting that thing sit in my queue for months and months and months so um i'm gonna try and remedy that a bit where possible but i will say this collab episode i've got coming up is a monster that is just due to the nature of the music we're going to be covering so um you know don't say you weren't warned all right to the mission at hand we are back here for part two of the synth wizards and in part one We started in the early 70s, we took it all the way through the 80s, and we were on the search for, um, you know, synth gurus. We're we're on the search for people who were glued to their synthesizers and and really punched in those beautiful, legendary, awe-inspiring sounds and tones that, you know, so many of us still love today. So we listened to cool shit like John Carpenter, Tangerine Dream. Um, the Art of Noise, as well as like very nerdy shit like Klaus Schulz and Evangelis. Um, and, and we even made the case for some less celebrated synth hero types, um, you know, people like Alice Coltrane and Terry Riley. But here we are in these dire modern times with the backdrop of the 70s and 80s. Um, that stuff's being regurgitated left and right, uh, re-fetishized uh, every few years pretty much ever since then. So part two of Synth Wizards is going to be a tough one because I'm trying my best to avoid the straight up John Carpenter and Tangerine Dream ripoffs of which there is a very deep pool, especially in the last like 10 years. But, you know, in terms of timing and and rules, anything from the 90s through today is going to be fair game. And we're basically applying very similar genre rules here compared to before only because it's fair. And, and also because the synthesizer has become so ubiquitous to, to many styles of music. Like, you know, you hear it all the time in pop and indie rock and heavy rock and ambient and drone music, like so many other things. So, you know, even with that said, we're still going to stay away from some of the same stuff. We're going to stay away from synth pop. We're going to try and stay away from progressive rock and just like heavy rock with synthesizers um, being used. 
we're not touching industrial music we're not really touching like crazy abstract experimental music that uses synths either um we're trying to avoid eno style like ambient music um you know the stuff off like his his ambient series but that's pretty much our limitations um <laughs> it's it's a lot of limitations but um I think it's going to yield some uh, more diverse results. And again, what we want here are artists who are taking the instrument to, to really boundless places and tinkering around with sounds and techniques and just twisting them knobs, you know, like honing in on music that has endless sonic possibility. So uh, we're going to hear everything from cosmic music to synths being wielded like kind of like math rock guitars to grand sweeping cinematic scores and uh, all the way to the return of like new age music. And, and just like we omitted Kraftwerk in part one, um, I'm, I'm gonna just go ahead right off the bat, omit like Aphex Twin and The Knife in parts two. So you can go ahead and skip this load of bullshit podcast if you want. Um, I'm, I'm obviously biased, but I, I think we're gonna get into some satisfying synth music here regardless. Um, you know, I think you could you could have listened to part one of this series and hated every song on there and that whole style, and you might still find a lot of stuff that you would dig on this one. So, so while certain styles of playing and, and sequencing and particular tones have sustained like throughout the 70s, way up until now, there have been like plenty of artists who are uh, composing and performing music predominantly on synthesizers who like really are doing their own thing with it or expanding on existing ideas or fusing the instrument with other genres in, in new ways. Not to mention that you have now, you know, this massive toolbox of digital synthesizers that use digital signal processing, you know, some of which really emulate like analog synth sounds like pretty well. So a lot of the artists we're going to hear today, they're using like hybrid rigs, analog and digital. Um, and on one hand, sounds are getting like easier to reproduce, but there's also like such a massive amount of options. Not to mention the appeal of like vintage single oscillator synths. So basically, the name of the game here is you got more tools in the toolbox. It's great, but uh, narrowing down what you're going to use is a task in and of itself. And I think a lot of these people have like exercised an incredible amount of either discipline or just knowing exactly what they want. Um, and gotten really good results out of it. So, you know, the, the cool thing about that is that we'll, we'll be able to hear a bit like how synth sounds have evolved and shifted. Um, sometimes they're emulating the warmness of analog. We all love that, of course. And other times, um, you know, it's taking them into territories that the original synth wizards probably like never imagined. But I think that's enough of the intro shit. We know what we're doing here. So let's go in, let's get our second fix of Synthesizer Warship. And this is Synth Wizards, The Students, 1990s to 2020. Okay, first up we have none other than Emeralds. They were one of the foremost groups to really resurface like a lot of this really meditative and spacey synth stuff in the 2010s. And, and this track is called Candy Shop and it's from the 2010 album Does It Look Like I'm Here? 
Now, Emeralds were a band um, from Cleveland, and uh, it was made up of three dudes. And, and since their breakup in 2013, these three dudes have gone on to make really great music, respectively. So th- this is one of those cases where, like, good band breaks up, and then, like, the quantity and quality of output, like, multiplies, like, across each member's projects. And, and this is also one of those situations where each instrumentalist brought I, what I think is a distinct approach and sound to Emeralds. I mean, I'm not like sitting there like watching them make the music, but it's just kind of like what I can glean from the Emeralds sound. And then also just like what these three individuals ended up uh, producing and kind of trying to tie that back to Emeralds in some cases. But, you know, they retain some of that signature and like their work outside of the band like for sure you definitely hear that and 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 it's kind of important to like talk about these three like you have steve hauschilt who is a total synth guru and and he's responsible for working these very like enveloping shimmering and human-like sequences and arpeggiated notes into the music and he's kind of continued to explore this thing in his solo work and second you have uh mark mcguire his real name maybe real name actually i don't know for sure and he contributes like a lot of the guitar um, and, and as well as synths to Emeralds, but has like uh, built up a really insane catalog of like archived and new material under his solo banner. And then uh, lastly, you have John Elliott, who has been putting out some of the, the best ambient and kind of new age influenced music as uh, imaginary softwoods. And I think that group's been going on since like 2008. But all three of these artists like combined to form Emeralds, obviously, who on this track are most certainly like channeling the German slice of progressive electronic music. So think of stuff like Ashraw Temple, Harmonia, and Tangerine Dream. However, I would say there's like a melodicism here that's like very pronounced. Um, The slow buildup in this track of like these bubbling, spacey kind of noises and the layers of notes that kind of like erupts into like a crescendo um, around the two minute mark, like... That, that, that whole part, that, that, that change in the track, that really like clears the path for like, uh, I don't know, it's just like this glorious parade of like uh, instruments. I mean, you got everything from like multi-tracked guitar leads and counter melodies to these like major note keys to washes of like oceanic like noise that just kind of like ripple through the track. And, and it really is just a perfect moment of like stacking synthesizers on top of each other and and trying to conjure like this the same type of visuals that so many great synth music like forces us into and what this is really is like the german school like distilled down into like a perfect five minute burst and i love that emeralds don't need like 10 15 20 25 minutes to like affect you this deeply like and maybe this is cosmic music for like shorter attention spans or something especially compared to like a lot of their 70s heroes but um i'd say it still continues that legacy into the modern age like trying to imbue it with like an emotional kind of quality that you i would say rarely get even from the german stuff i mean like germans are well known for being cold but like a lot of that stuff outside of like um you know our you know harmonia and eno's collab like um and and a few others like a lot of that stuff really kind of comes across as cold and and, and emeralds are anything but cold but yeah this this group is wonderful this album uh does it look like i'm here is absolutely one of my favorites from them it's one of my favorites in the genre and uh it's really that moment around the two minute mark is just like something else so um i'm gonna go ahead and get you let you listen to it 
and uh, I guarantee it'll have you uh, melting into your seat.
right, so we are veering into some 90s electronic music territory here, but uh, only briefly because while, you know, like your Aphex Twins, your Autokers, Square Pusher, like all that Warp Records stuff, um, while those guys are all definitely playing around with synths, it was primarily Boards of Canada who were like the synth heads of the lot. Uh, and, and their love of analog synthesizers and analog production techniques was like really well documented um, now and, and even back then in the 90s. And it was just super evident when you listen to, to their albums, which are all very, very distinct, but tend to carry this strange, like uh, uh, sort of obtuse, like nostalgia for times and places that you've never experienced. I mean, their music is, uh, is a sort of like synesthesia in that sense. And, and a lot has been written about that particular quality. So I encourage you to check that out. It's kind of hard to like read about, like read about Boards of Canada and not kind of get that like written in. But before we get into any of that, this track is called uh, Roigbiv and it is from Boards of Canada's seminal album, Music Has the Right to Children, came out in 1998. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with it. And I actually remembered what uh, Roigbiv meant when I, uh, <laughs> when I took a second look at the, at the name of the track. Because um, I knew it had something to do with colors. So um, I'm giving myself a score on this one. Uh, but to be more precise, it's an acronym for the main colors of the rainbow. And there's honestly like a lot of like childlike references that are both overt and maybe covert in the music of Boards of Canada. And a lot of people heap praise on them. Um, they're a duo. They're from the UK. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people really like them because, you know, they created electronic music that I, I would say like it has a soul. Um, and, and this track is one of their most well-known jams. I'm keeping it pretty basic here. And the only reason I'm doing that is because if any track is going to suck you into their discography, it's probably this one. And it's largely like the tonal quality of these synths. That's like the big draw as well as the, you know, I don't really know how to describe like the writing and the composition well, but, um, you know, this track is just, there's something kind of goofy about it. And, and, and I mean that in the most endearing way I can possibly mean it. Um, you know, after like this beat kicks in, you get all these like embellishes on the twos and the fours that are just so memorable. They're so addictive. They're just like the perfect sound at the perfect time, but they're also completely unexpected, totally full of personality. Um, you've never really heard anything like this, but you absolutely have at the same time. And, and you'll continue to like revisit it by accident, like over and over and over. And, and their music is just a wash in this kind of like, I think I've seen it described as like a rural psychedelia and there's something to that. But then it's like evident that this is all happening in space and being replayed on like a VHS tape um, that's been eroded and like the depth of color is all fucked up. I mean, I, I, it's very hard to describe this group. Um, I don't really know how to describe this music without sounding like a dipshit. It's music that you can't really explain so much in musical terms because it has such a distinct personality and it has so much playfulness in it. Although I would say the group has moved into much like darker territory and more recent work. But, you know, man, it's like fucking hard to even compare them to the great synth music of the past because... While there is absolutely a through line here between like the champions of analog synth, you know, the 70s guys and their impacts on like film and stuff like that, even though there is that through line, um, these two these two guys in Boards of Canada are very odd. They're very talented brains and they're and they're making this completely exceptional music. 
This next one is from the group Bitchin Bajas, and yes, that is actually their chosen band name. Uh, you might think that that is the stupidest band name you've ever heard, and you might be right. But um, I would just caution, like before coming to that judgment, just know that this band put out an album in 2017, and they called that album Bajas Fresh. All of a sudden, that name's not so stupid, and this band is kind of brilliant. So this group is actually brilliant, though, and uh, I think the song proves it. The name of the track is Bew, and it's from their self-titled 2014 album. So Bitch and Bajas is basically a trio that was started by a guy named Cooper Crane, and it features uh, a couple other multi-instrumentalists. I think live they kind of expand into a five- or six-person thing. But, the, you know, this core trio of musicians has collaborated with tons of people like Bonnie Prince Billy, uh, Joshua Abrams and the Natural Information Society, uh, Circuit de U, and uh, a bunch of other insanely talented musicians who I assume value jamming and chillness and going like really, really deep. <laughs> so this is maybe the crunchiest of all of the synth gurus we're getting going to explore today. I mean, 
you know, maybe not actually. There's, there's some competition a little bit later. Um, but I say that because the emphasis is on the jamming. And, and let me tell you that Bitch and Bajas love to jam on a single riff for uh, a nice good while before, you know, evolving it to another like plane completely. So there's definitely some Terry Riley vibes going on here, I suspect. But I also hear like some Popol Vuh in their sound. Um, I hear some Cluster uh, in this track, especially. Um, and I'm going to play most of this track, but I am going to like kind of skip ahead a little bit to the juicy parts because it is it is a longer one. But, you know, this is basically the the cosmic uh, synth model, but as played by like a, a, a living, breathing like band. And, and there's at least a few synth arpeggiations gliding across the song. Um, some like what sounds like treated saxophone that's like laying down some very, very nice licks. And, and, and these are kind of cross-faded and stitched together to create something that uh, I would say is truly ecstatic and uh, exploratory. So this is high-level jamming with synths um, to kind of create a mood that is, uh, you know, something a little more primal, maybe something healing compared to, like, the multi-galaxy ambitions of, like, the 70s German cosmic stuff.
at the track from 10 Tricks Point Never. It was inevitable. If you don't know who this artist is, you've somehow managed to stay off of the millennial music nerd corners of the internet, and I salute you for that. Um, 10 Tricks Point Never is the name of a project by a guy named Daniel uh, Lopatin, a boy wonder in a lot of respects whose music blurs an incredible amount of lines and genres. Um, and, and including a genre that he like largely invented called vaporwave. But, you know, that's not important. What's important is that One of Tricks Point Never has been releasing music, uh, you know, mostly in the late 2000s. That's, uh, you know, really pointed to like the progressive electronic giants of the 70s and 80s. But he ultimately kind of evolved it into like a completely unpredictable beast. I mean, offering something like very new very novel with every forthcoming album i'm not necessarily like in love with every single record he does but it's always like uh, uh very singular and 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 always something with a ton of personality but this track chrome country is taken from the 2013 album uh this album is titled r plus seven and, and this track has always been something like totally wondrous to me 
and and like i think this is largely like digital stuff with sampling and editing and probably all, all sorts of techniques that go way over my head um uh coming out this as a total normie but um uh lopatin is definitely using like a synth patch that uh is the sound of like a children's choir um you know something not unlike what you would find on like a keyboard with like 800 preset sounds like i have one of these keyboards i can definitely you keep going like deep enough into the presets and you'll you'll get to like six seven hundred with like 50 different choir sounds that are all horrendous like you would never do anything besides like fucking around with them for like uh you know two minutes but you know this is all manipulated it's contorted and it's taken to like all kinds of extremities like various pitches like the voices cut in and out and 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 while this like bright kind of new agey kind of ballad moves forward it gets like very disturbing <laughs> and, and and i would say like it's not disturbing like in horror it's like disturbingly beautiful because the core melody of these soft washes of like synthesizers and strings i mean it's 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 just gorgeous it's absolutely gorgeous it's like something out of a stars of the lid track or something but um the dude just can't help like inject these almost maddening like choral phrases in while tossing in like uh you know all these incredible like counter melodies to the main melody and it's just really bizarre I mean, it's alternating between like the most soothing, like lovely music you've ever heard and like a demented children's video game or something like that. But it's all controlled because this fool knows exactly what he's doing. And, uh, you know, he's got to be doing it with like a maniacal, like Richard D. James, like grin on his face or something. I mean, that's how I imagine it anyway. And just when you think this track couldn't be more like oddly appealing, like towards the end, everything cuts out. And the last minute of the song just erupts into this like absolutely ridiculous organ line that's complete with like these choral ahs and like these plinking pianos and like uh, faint opera singing in the background. And it's just it's so out of nowhere. It makes no sense in relation to the rest of the song. But it's like the highlight of the entire fucking record. Like, uh, I'm not kidding you. It's a totally absurdist moment. Um, that is just like astonishingly good, like tears streaming down from your face. Good. And and you'll be definitely like baffled to what, why you're crying because there's no like particular emotion that is like associated with this, this like part of the song. It's, it's, it's just like crying to a commercial or something like that. But uh, <laughs> I get a little carried away with descri- describing this clearly. But, um, you know, there's nothing I can really do to prepare you for this track. It is a true enigma that somehow like links back to synthesizer music it links back to ambient music sampled music um new age music maybe stuff like art of noise which we covered in part two um because that track also utilizes a lot of these like really really cornball like choral presets but ultimately uh, i can't say for sure it's just my hunch you know all i can really say is that this is a zany highly creative like musician that is both progressive and electronic so you know it belongs
This next jam comes from the Austin, Texas group Survive, all caps with a space between each letter. And the song is called Floating Cube. It is from 2012's album called MNQ026. And uh, this band rose to some level of like fame, like a pretty decent level of fame, when they soundtracked some of the first season of Stranger Things, I think. I don't know about the second one. But, um, you know, they've been worshiping at the altar of the synth gods and kind of updating that sound since about 2010. And this track is definitely going to pull at your John Carpenter strings a bit, um, as this is as perfect as any of his pieces, I would say. It's the track has like this really rubbery bass synth line that sounds grounded in like a future dub kind of type of style. I mean, even the drums and some of the effects like sound very dub reggae influenced to me. But um, it's all presented in this like rusty, broken down future, like very apocalyptic and dystopian in its vibe. Definitely like a a like deep red hue over anything that you are picturing and and the melodies that are coming off the synth accents are, are really really brilliant and and the entire track is really just like a, a great example of like how you build suspense it's all mood and aesthetic um and it's also very very badass like these these guys just know how to get really badass sounds out of their synths. and the main melody is just it's really classic sounding and it's it's obvious that survive like studied the masters very well but this doesn't feel like it could have been made in the 70s because it's integrating this like cavernous groove and this like dub inspired use of spacing and pitch to like mutate the entire style towards something that sounds like way more cryptic than any of the 70s stuff like way more sinister i would say and i've seen this slotted um under the the genre tag synthwave but i don't know in my opinion it's like it's far from like 70s carbon copy and and it absolutely has its own lane to carve out in the world of modern synth music Thank you. 
Okay, next up we have Caitlin Aurelia Smith in her track, When I Try, I'm Full. It is off of the album Ears, all caps, um, and it came out in 2016. So this is a, a short little ditty of a track from uh, the composer, performer, producer, um, and fan of the uh, uh, Buchla Musikiesel analog synthesizer, a uh, synth that we covered a little bit in part one. And, and this is really a great example of what spontaneous songwriting and kind of like playfulness will get you when you sit down with some uh, really great analog equipment and just start piling on the sounds. So this has something in common with Boards of Canada and One of Tricks Point Never in that it's really difficult to tell like what is an organic sound and, and what has been entirely synthesized. You end up getting like this half human, half machine feeling from this music or kind of like this uh, digital analog kind of like mix. Um, and, and, and the synthesizer here sounds incredible. I mean, it's playing these like hyper fast arpeggios that are mutating while these like ro robotized vocals are kind of like sung in, in it's almost like meditative intervals with a sort of like call and response thing that's happening. It's very bizarre. It reminds me of The Knife, uh, in a sense, um, who are another excellent group that uses synths in a, in a totally visionary way. Um, and I probably should have included them because it's the second time they come up. But, you know, no synth pop, even the most fucked up deranged synth pop. Uh, we're not going to we're not going to include that here either. But yeah, Caitlin is definitely one of these people that is a thrusting, exploratory, progressive synth music into the forefront of this like new agey kind of renaissance that's been happening maybe over the last like five, ten years. Um, I'd, I'd recommend checking out a record she did with um, Susan Ciani, who we featured in part one of this series and who was a pioneer in early synth music. And this is a collaborative album, so it's kind of like this collab between the old and the new. It's for the Revenge label, who do this like ongoing collaborative series called Freakways. And, and this record that they did together is called Synergy, and uh, it is extremely good shit. Um, as is a ton of the stuff in that Freakways series. In fact, like a lot of the artists who we are exploring in this like part two series, like show up in that in this like freakways uh, compilation like series thing so it's kind of like a masters and students thing coming together like but a label is actually putting it out versus just some schmuck talking about it in a podcast but anyway enjoy this track by caitlin aurelia smith um a very free and interesting voice in kind of new agey synth music
Okay, so here is a pick I'm going to have to make a good case for. So uh, here we have the epic track, Gone, from the album Dead Cities, Red Seas, and Lost Ghosts from the French duo M83. And this record came out in 2003. Um, and let me just start by saying that early M83 is uh, quite a different beast from the M83 that blew up in like the 2010s. It became everybody at Coachella's favorite band. But this album, Dead Cities, uh, it's amazing. I mean, it's a real masterwork of like melodramatic, atmospheric, like synth-based music. And there's really not that much in the way of like pop structures here, I would say. Like it's, and it's not terribly experimental either. It's essentially just like synth-driven music that's overflowing with like melancholy. And this record is so over the top that it's admirable. I mean, M83 work with like a pretty small palette here, I think, from what I can tell. It's basically like this high gloss, like washed out synth sounds. Like think of like Casio, like drum beats and like digitized guitars, stuff like that. And this is basically like hard on sleeve, like rock music played by robots that are longing for other robots. But but this track has stuck with me from the first time I heard it back when this album came out. And it's this really careful buildup of like gentle synths and like high drama percussive hits that really just like erupts into this explosion of like blissed out like digital guitars and these like massive synthesizer washes. I mean, if I have any complaint, it's that I just wish like the mix on this album was like just cranked up like so much higher. But it's all just like the cinematic gut punch. It's totally like overwrought. And and it's a lesson that synths can make you like ball your eyes out if they want you to. And, and this is totally the kind of music that was meant to score like a brutally sad scene or like an ending to a movie. And, 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 I, and I love it because A, I love sad sack high drama shit like this in general. And B, like it, it showcases a side of synthesizer led music that has nothing to do with like being eerie or apocalyptic or like retro futurist or like i don't know any fantastical kind of shit like this is as human as robot music gets and and it's really just like translating the human experience into like what we know best which is you know like heartbreak uh blight and like uh, toiling
So our first alumni pick in this episode is Steve Hauschild, who was a founding member of Emeralds, who we featured at the start of this playlist. Um, but Steve's really had a great solo career since Emeralds split up. And this track is called Arpeggier, and it's off of the 2015 album Where All Is Fled, a absolutely wonderful album in this genre. Can't recommend it enough. My favorite of his records. And, and, and while Steve's music has a fair amount of diversity, uh, you know, he can do like these moody piano pieces, kind of like Aphex Twin, and, and he can even do some of these more like abstract electronic kind of stuff. I think it's safe to say that this man's strength is in these like phenomenal, like arpeggiated, like programmed sequences that it, it, they sound like five synths being played like in perfect unison, but they're like crisscrossing one another in this like total like harmonious like perfection and and these tend to be my favorite tracks from steve's output and this one in particular i mean there's not much to say about it like it, it's a, just a totally masterful like display of sequencing prowess that's melded with like these these really unique tones and and and, and you know what these are not like your usual like german school of synths like these sound very modern um, they sound warm they sound rhythmically very rich and the melodies are just so fucking good. I mean, these are like wormholes like all over this track and throughout this man's discography. So this is a perfect track from an artist who is uh, indebted to the German sound and in the process like completely evolving it.
Next up is uh, Tenger or Tenger. Not sure which. It's spelled T-E-N-G-G-E-R. They are from Seoul, South Korea. They are a duo comprised of uh, Ita on harmonium and vocals and uh, Marquito on analog synthesizers. And this track is called Morgan Temple, and it is from their 2017 album titled Spiritual. And this is music that is most definitely like utilizing uh, the repetition and the droning of like Eastern principles to like guide these cosmic synth heavy jams that are really blurring like the synthetic and the organic in terms of sound. And, and this track sounds both like some kind of like hushed techno made by monks or something like that. I mean, it's got this like steady four on a four beat with like the harmonium just kind of droning along. And then these like washes of really beautiful, like high pitched synths come in like ocean waves. Um, it's just so meditative and so focused and, and it's, it's radiating this like very blissed out vibe. I mean, it honestly sounds like something from, from, um, the producer, the field, but um, this track and group are, are really special because, uh, uh, you know, this is like cosmic music that feels like it's being played live right in front of you. And it's really only talking about a, a couple instruments that are needed. And, and the rhythm and drones are like really drive the momentum of the song. So, so this is also music that seems to want to channel an, an inner peace or a search for that. Um, it's really just the vibe that I get from it. Um, and, and, and do in doing so without resorting to like a, an overt new agey kind of like trope, um, presumably because this is music that's coming from and being played by artists who like originate from a place with more of like a collectivism style to living to philosophy and, and new age music at its at its worst, like packaged, like most superficial like aspects. Like that's just a, a, basically a, a rehash, a watered down version of like Eastern thought and philosophy. Um, and it's geared and marketed towards a Western palette, which is where you get all like the cornball aesthetics and watered down sounds that, that are, that are <laughs> unfortunately so tied to new age music. But, but uh, Tenger on the other hand are, are most definitely on that quest for like inwardness. And uh, you know, the synthesizer is the perfect vehicle for burrowing into that type of sound.
Okay, next up is the duo Zombie, spelled Z-O-M-B-I. They are a two-man band, um, primarily featuring synthesizers and drums. And, and this track is called Surface to Air. It is from the album of the same name, which came out in 2006. And this is by far the proggiest thing on the list. Um, there's definitely some some John Carpenter and Tangerine Dream here. Um, but I would say there's also some Rush and uh, throw in some Goblin and uh, maybe a bit of like math rock as well. And you're starting to approach the zombie sound. And it's this is a very defined sound. But what I like so much about these guys and what sets them apart from like groups like Survive or like a lot of these John Carpenter worshipping synthwave groups that have like live drummers a lot of the time is that uh, Zombie straddles a line between like being balls out, like energetic, kick your ass, like rock. And then like this dark, moody, like alien-like kind of like passages that are super atmospheric and detailed. And Zombie doesn't beat you over the head with like shreddy synths um or if they do they don't do it often um but what this band really is special at doing is is what they do in the second half of the track in my opinion and that's basically taking you on like a groovy odyssey of like really brilliant and and careful synth work and textures uh, that give you this like hyper futurist feeling um and this is probably like the most badass of any of the selections here and this band is still going today um, they're pretty damn prolific at this point. I mean, I, they've been doing this sound since like the early 2000s. And there was definitely a point in like the last five years, I would say, where this kind of like proggy synthwave stuff was getting pretty big. I mean, like heavy rock and metal labels like Relapse Records were putting out like Goblin and Carpenter clones like all the time. But Zombie has been doing their thing for close to 20 years. And, um, they're, you know, they're only getting tighter and more focused.
Okay, we are nearing the end here. This is the last really rowdy one that we're going to get into, and it is by the group Fuck Buttons. The track is called The Red Wing, and it is off of the completely amazing 2013 album Slow Focus. This is really the only album from them that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of. But um, Fuck Buttons are an electronic duo from the UK. Uh, I don't know why there are so many duos in this episode, but there just is. But one of the members, um, Benjamin John Power, has has gone on to do a project that's gotten pretty big called Blank Mass. And and Blank Mass is a really cool, like, Carpenter-esque, like, electronic project that's on Sacred Bones. And I thought about featuring one of the Blank Mass tracks here because it's, like, this high-octane, like, super noisy synth, like, madness. It's really well done. But I think Fuck Buttons on, on this record, this was their last record, was really onto something. And I, I kind of wish they had, like, c- continued it or evolved it. And this to me is like a continuation of really post-apocalyptic like synth music, but with all of these more modern like styles and tones that are being carried through the music. I mean, I hear stuff like UK bass music and like neo-psychedelia and like instrumental hip hop and industrial music and even like some heavy doom metal kind of like tones. Like I hear all of that in this record. And, and the mood is consistently encased in like a, a very like monolithic kind of like vibe or future and the melodies are really straightforward but they're they're super satisfying and they kind of evolve tracks with like layers of sound and instrumentation that they just kind of like pile on top little by little and i wouldn't be surprised if like boards of canada was a big influence on, big influence on these guys because this is a similar type of like all enveloping world contained within the music kind of thing, um, but it's far more menacing than anything Boards of Canada have done, um, you know, maybe with the exception of their last album, which was kind of dark for them. But this track, The Red Wing, uh, you know, it takes like this hip hop like beat and then just like this buzzsaw organ bass line and it just piles on these like layers of beautiful like harsh noise like on top using uh like i can only imagine there are synthesizers from hell and this is perfect for people who like their music to build but like need it to have momentum and movement as the track goes on um they really keep the song structures like very simple here like the the tricks are in the insane tones that they pull out of their electronics and synthesizers and and the satisfaction of this stuff lies in like the ugliness and beauty that that permeates like the entire record to be honest and i'm not a huge electronic music guy in general but um this one has stuck with me in a way that few other electronic records do
we have done it. We've reached the finale. I, for one, am looking forward to a nice long break from synthesizers, from arpeggios, from modular equipment. Um, I'm sick of pondering humanity's grave future, too, even though that is uh, pretty inevitable these days. But we are going to end this thing with the illustrious Alessandro Cortini. This guy is a multi-instrumentalist. He is a synth head, and he is also the bass player for the current lineup of Nine Inch Nails, which I, I didn't know. But the, the thing I'm most into from this guy is his series of solo records under the name, um, under his name, Alessandro Cortini, but particularly his Force trilogy, which are three albums titled Force One, Two, and Three, and that's Force spelled F-O-R-S-E. And each of these albums is composed of like these four to nine minute like synth pieces where it's, it's just Alessandro playing like the loudest, warmest, like as analog as analog can get synthesizer. And in this case, it's it's the Bukla Musikizel, which we've heard several times in both this episode and the previous one where we're uh, focusing on the teachers. And these are just simple repeating synth melodies that are like all feeling, they're all tone, it is all vibe, and it is soundtracking like a turn in a new age of man or a, a rise of robots or something equally magnificent and epic. And it's just a total flip off the brain and, and just let these like massive synths like cleanse you inside and out. It's like a synth enema. And one of my favorite things to do when I'm feeling like stressed out or just like fucking sick of everything is to just put on one of these records and crank my system as high it can go, it can go without like damaging anything. And I just lay down on the carpet motionless and, and and that's what I do. And there's really only like five records that I can do this to. But the Force Trilogy is absolutely uh, like one of one of these pieces of music that is perfect for that. And I think some of you might say that this is ambient music and you, you've broken your rules and you always break your rules. And that's kind of true. But I don't know. This is just so about like the tonality of the synthesizers. You know, I, I, I think this dude is just like cranking up his synth and just twiddling those knobs um, and kind of contorting like these gargantuan buzzes and drones. And I just don't listen to this in the same way that I would like listen to something like Stars of the Lid or Alluvium or, or any other like ambient stuff. Like this is all about doing uh, simple things with extraordinary dialed in gear. And it's it's almost like a demonstration of how beautiful this instrument can be. It's, it's, it's like it's a commercial for the synthesizer or something. And, and, and that's why we're ending on this track, because we want to get back to the original idea behind this stuff. And, and, and that idea is that when all the fantastical stuff and experimentation is set aside, like this is a human sitting down in front of some gear and drawing sound from it. And, and I think it takes a particular type of human to be able to communicate with like musical machines like a synthesizer. Like it's somebody who needs like a vast amount of patience you know, a limitless amount of curiosity and just like uh, an inner quest to like chase after that sound or that tone or that song or that record and kind of like place it in the mantle of, of forward thinking music. But that's all we got. I am going to go out on this track and um, we will see you next time with a new rabbit hole to plop down. Um, hit me with that rating and review if you got a minute. Hit me up at thesoniccloth at gmail.com if you have any episode ideas, corrections, want to collaborate on something. If you are 
um, wanting to go down a rabbit hole with me, uh, my door is open. So uh, yeah, keep up those deep listens. And uh, what have we learned over the last four hours? We learned that synthesizers fucking rule. <laughs>